This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Today we have a special guest, Dean Morash, who is the owner and founder of the SoCal Classic Car Storage in Orange County, California, and a car collector. So Dean, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Pleased to be here. Awesome. Well, to hear Dean's career journey, be sure to listen to his interview on my other podcast called Learn From Others. This will post in a few weeks where we not only learned more about his career, but we also found out what his first car was, his dream car is, and what cool company car I gave him based on his job uh, as an entrepreneur. So, Dean, one goal of this podcast is to, to explore what drives a collector and as a collector yourself, could you let me know what kind of cars do you collect? Oh, man. Well, what drives a collector usually is, <laughs> where did you get the disease from? So, and I, I call it a disease because it's clearly an addiction. And unlike a lot of other addictions, there's no 12-step program. I think it's a one-step program. Admitting that you have the disease, that's all it takes for, for healing. So if you're a collector car storage place, are you an enabler? <laughs> well, it's it's funny. You said that. So I <laughs> I used to tell people, people have a problem and we've got a solution. And I've changed that tagline to a little bit more candid response, which is people have a, an addiction and we are the enabler. So it's true. <laughs> Most of my yes. clientele don't stop buying cars. And, right. and they don't let the fact that they don't have enough room for all of them stop them. Right. They, right. they go get it, and then they ask the question, now what do we do with it, or where do we store it? <laughs> and, they, right. and oftentimes, exactly. you know, I bought two cars at Mecham, and I honestly don't know where the heck I'm going to put them, Dan. And I'm like, you've come to the right place. That's right. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, so back to your uh, question that I didn't answer, I have a, uh, more cars than I care to admit, but um, my son is – uh, the only one that counts them, and um, I. Put <laughs> we don't need a firm in. number. Just you know. No, that's not necessary. That's no, not necessary. Because then, or is it the, more fifties and sixties? Is it seventies? Like where your yeah, case lie? Yeah, I'd say it's forties, fifties, and sixties. Okay. So I have I have a couple of forty nines. I have a forty nine Nash. Oh, Air that's Flight. cool. It's kind of an odd duck. I have a forty nine Town and Country convertible uh, Chrysler. That one, that one's quite a project. I have a. 67 Cougar XR7. I have a 55 Pontiac Safari wagon. Wow. I have a 55 uh, Vic, Ford Vic, and a, a few others that we didn't need to go into detail. But just I'm kind of all over the map, to be honest with you. But what I like is something that's different. I even have a 62 yeah. Corvair. And again, I kind of got the Jay Leno problem where I don't want what everybody else has. I want to show up with something that nobody else has. And people are like, what in the heck is that? <laughs> right. Right. So I don't I don't care how, it doesn't have to be perfect for me to enjoy it or Concord that's right. that's not my thing my thing is does it run and can it get there so it sounds like yeah something unique and slightly different I didn't hear any Mustangs or Corvettes and if anyone's listened to this podcast they know I love Mustangs and Corvettes but I didn't hear any more streamlined traditional cars in your collection is this stuff from your past like you know when you're growing up you fell in love with the forty nine and you're like, I have to have one of those one day, or is it strictly the unique aspect of it? You know what? It's kind of like my education. We just talked about that in the previous podcast that you mentioned. My taste changed. Yeah. You know, when I was young, I was never interested in cars in the 40s or 50s. When I grew up, I was only interested in cars that were in the 60s, like the muscle cars. And now um, I, I have little to no interest in the cars in the 60s. My heart's in the 40s. 
but I spent some time, you know, maybe five years to 10 years ago in the 50s. And so I think that's what happens with a lot of my customers. I've seen them go from hot rods and classics and then sell them all. And they go buy a bunch of Lamborghinis and a bunch of <laughs> Ferraris. Yeah. And I'm like, what is going on? But, you know, I think that's okay. That's what's cool about the car business is there's so many different areas of interest and niches to get into. Why stop at one, right? Why just become, a, a you know, an enthusiast of one car manufacturer? Yeah, there's so many different experiences to enjoy across decades of cars, for sure. Wow. Well, where, when did your passion begin? Was it your first car, that 64 Galaxy? Yeah, I think my passion began uh, with my father. And, you know, I grew up in a large family, three brothers. And my dad had all these cars all over the place. I mean, there must have been seven or eight or nine cars always. We never had that many drivers, so I didn't really know what was going on. <laughs> but, you know, we were that neighbor that everybody hated. Cars and filled up in our driveway, filled up in our garage, out on the court or on the street. And we'd be replacing engines on weekends and going to junkyards and havoc. <laughs> I'm sure we were never very popular as neighbors. But, you know, I just thought that was a normal uh, environment. So that's how right. I grew up. So by 12, you were out there, uh, even my sisters, working on cars every weekend. Wow. Of course, those cars broke all the time. But So I just, you know, that was my normal. And so, and then when my dad, he worked for AAA, he would bring cars home for me to work on you know, so people could save money instead of going to an auto mechanic. So, you know, high school years, I would work on cars in the driveway and save people at work a lot of money because I was cheap. Same environment. Did your sister become a collector? I, neither one of my sisters became a collector, but I think in that kind of environment, you're all treated like boys. Right. And so my sisters would work on cars. My dad would, you know, buy them cars and they would, you know, have to work on the cars and so they have a lot of fond memories. Uh, I still have my dad's 57 T-Bird here in this facility. It's a white T-Bird. Oh, that's cool. Every time my sisters see it, they tell stories about, yeah, dad, let me use it for a parade when I was in high school. I'm like, dad, let you use it for a parade in high school? What the hell? You know? So, <laughs> but yeah, I remember when dad and I replaced such and such and the other thing. And I'm like, I don't remember any of this. So yeah, my sisters are out there wrenching and creating memories in these cars. And that's what cars really are about for, I'd say, the vast majority of our, our customers and the, and the people that I hang out with. The power of memory in automobiles is just amazing. We've got a, for example, we've got a 1969 Camaro, Bumblebee Yellow with black stripes. Hmm. Just came in. Nut and bolt frame off restoration. It's a beautiful RS Camaro with a 350. And that's not the story. The story is it's a one-family-owned car, 4,000 miles. Bought by the grandfather, brand new, some point given to the, the son. The son recently passed. He had cancer, unfortunately. And the widow came in and said, hey, I need to store this car. Uh, my son's not ready for it. He's 15. But in the meantime, let's keep it there. But that's the way it goes. Once these cars have a significant family attachment, um, there's just no logic. It, it becomes yeah. uh, money and all this other stuff are not essential ingredients. And what, what you do, you, you spare no expense to take care of the family heirloom, which is an automobile. Yeah, and speaking of which, I'm I'm fortunate to be repping as a seller's agent for a 65 Corvette that should be on Bring a Trailer in the next three weeks or so. And cool. what's so interesting about this car is that I've been chasing it for about four years. I just ran across it while I was out walking one day. And no, it wasn't okay. for sale, it wasn't for sale. And uh, they've owned it since 66. And it's the same owner since 1966. And it's your classic red 
black interior, wow. four-speed convertible. And what's really cool is he bought it as a school teacher. It was six months old when he bought it. And oh, he met his future wife in it. They right. went on, you know, their first date in it. They went on their honeymoon in it. They got married in it, you know, and they went on their 50th anniversary together in it. Wow. And uh, it's just a great story. So I'm fortunate to be involved uh, with them passing it along at this time. So that's that's really cool. Well, what car is on your wish list today? If you could go out there tomorrow, is there anything you're looking at, looking around for that's really got you interested? Yeah, great question. You know, for me, I'd have to say that I'm really interested in some of these old Studebakers. I don't know if you've seen a champion Studebaker. It's got that really strange-looking front nose, I think 49, 50, somewhere around there. So I'm looking for a, a really high-quality one of those. Again, it, you know, like I mentioned, my 49 Nash, I'm looking for something that's unique, um, that has been lost, basically. So many of these cars in the 40s and, and 50s, people don't see anymore. You go to an average car show, for example, you'll see a lot of Mustangs, but you won't see a, a Cougar. And I have a 67 Cougar. So one of the things that's cool about that is people are used to seeing the Mustangs, but not the Cougar. Right. And so right. part of this um, hobby, if you will, for lack of better definition, I almost call it an addiction, is to be able to share history with other people. And I think that's what's most intriguing about it, um, uh, about this hobby. It's just the opportunity to share with others. Right. Absolutely. You're showing them something they've probably never seen before, which is really cool. Well, which car got away? Is there one that you're still kicking yourselves that you're like, oh, I could have bought that and I didn't, and it's still bothering you? So maybe there's one. Maybe there's just one. It was a, I had a, believe it or not, I, I bought a Mercur XR4 Ti <laughs> in, the, in the 80s. A Ford of Europe came out with this car. It was a, very much a, an experiment for Ford, but it was a four-cylinder with a turbocharger, a 2.3 four-cylinder engine with a turbocharger, and had a hatchback with a kind of a split level wing on the back. And if you've seen one, they're very unusual styling. That's the car that I really enjoyed having. It was a maintenance nightmare, uh, always in the shop. <laughs> but that, you know, that's kind of the one that got away. I sold it because, you know, I was an early career professional, and I moved on to the next car and the next car and the next car. But I remember when I was at Long Beach Grand Prix as a course worker in the uh, early 80s, not long after I'd bought it, and uh, Scott Pruitt was driving one in the Trans Am series or one of the series, and he was winning his division with that car. And, you know, the connection between cars and racing, you know, when you see a car out on a racetrack, wow. So I, I think that's the one because now, you know, I, I, I'm appreciating that car a lot more than I did when I drove it on a daily basis. And that's going to be a really hard car to find in great shape. <laughs> right. You know, so when yeah, you find that absolutely. car, you need to grab that one quick because I know exactly the car you're talking about. And a lot of those were beat up. There, there was a Cosworth that was super high performance, but that was not sold in America. That's worth a lot of money. Is that the RS 200 or something, yes. or something like that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So they, the cars look very similar, but that, you know, that that's probably close to a six figure car, that Cosworth. So one of those, you're doing well. Now, do you have a, a barn find story you can share? You can keep it anonymous or do you know of like this really cool car somewhere that you can't share, but you can tell us a little bit about it. Like, just so we know, they're still still out there. Yeah, they're out there. I I don't know. I was on Facebook, and somebody took a picture of this '49 Town Country Chrysler convertible in the in a almost uh, like a junkyard. And like, do you believe this is sitting there? And I'm like, man, that thing looks complete. And so 
bunch of people were asking questions, and I finally figured out where it was. And I called that guy, and he says, man, I've been getting a lot of calls on that car. And he said, look, you're about the 10th person, but here's what I'll do. I'm going to have an auction. Whoever spends the most money on that car will get it. Just submit an offer. <laughs> so I don't know what I – I think I put in a number of six grand or something. I can't remember. Anyway, so I won. And then they shipped the car to me, and it got here, and, oh, my God, the rust was just – you know, incredible. It came from the Midwest, from somewhere in Illinois or Minnesota. So it's still with me to this day, and I have yet to figure out how I'm going to get that thing back on the road. But the 49 Town & Country Chrysler Convertible Woody is an exceptional car. If you've seen one uh, restored, they're incredible. But right. I'm I'm looking at that thing, going, okay, that's probably going to cost me 100 grand to restore that, <laughs> maybe about fifty thousand dollars on the wood. So it's from the department of what was I thinking? <laughs> right, again, right. It, it's just I got the disease that my father had, which is, well, the more you have, the better you are. He who dies with the most cars wins. It doesn't matter if they're running or not. You could claim that you <laughs> right. have one. So anyway, right. I, and then I did try to sell it on barnfinds.com and, you know, make a little bit of money, and I, I almost did. But the guy that was supposedly buying it from Greece claimed that they, you have to have a, a, a some kind of a council uh, decide on whether they're going to allow that car to be imported. And after a month of BS, I said, you know what, uh, forget it. And I pulled the plug in it, but I've never tried to sell it since then. So I've yet wow. to decide if I'm going to uh, sink some of my uh, retirement money into that and uh, waste some more money. But anyway, it's a beautiful car, <laughs> one of about a 1,000. And again, from a historical standpoint, once you start getting into small numbers, you begin to realize, you got an important piece of history. Right, for sure. One of the cars that we have in here, we just recently, is a 1957 Cadillac Eldorado Brome. Stainless steel top, suicide doors, uh, shot glasses in the glove box, you know, the whole thing. They only made 400 of those. And I think they were 10 or 11 grand new. They're four, actually, I looked that up, and they're actually, they were 14, almost 15 grand new when the average Cadillac was four. Right. So they're only, you know, I'm sure the reason why they only made 400 is because nobody could afford them. The bullets on the bumper on both front and back are incredible, but everywhere you go, there's design elements that just stop you in your tracks. And so I think when you own these cars that are either rare or significant because of their small production numbers, you have a sense of responsibility that you have to figure out what you're going to do. Right, right. Sounds a little old-fashioned, I suppose. Well, speaking of what you're going to do, do you have any insights on some of the recent trends in the collector car market? Are you seeing, you know, some folks buying more of X versus Y? Yeah, I think, you know, Haggerty and some of these other publications do a real good job identifying the trends. Of course, collector uh, car aficionados like Martin and his publications, American Car Collector, and, and all those other folks that are out there do a real good job. But what we're seeing is that my generation, which is uh, baby boomers, are not driving the car market anymore from the uh, acquisition and investment standpoint. It's that next generation. And those people are in yeah. their 40s and early 50s, and they've got the disposable income. But what they're interested in is not what I was interested in. So the fact that I'm purchasing right. cars in the 40s and the 50s, there's little to no demand for those cars. We're, we're selling a 1949 Pontiac Chieftain that's nut and bolt, frame-off restoration, red with a gray interior. This, just an exceptional wow. car. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. But we're selling it in the mid to high 20s. Somebody put 60 really? grand in that car. Here's the problem. Little to no interest in a car in the 40s. But, you know, that's what happens. So age of clientele 
is such an uh, important factor in the trends in the market, unlike art maybe, unlike watches, right, which those may transcend, transcend from one generation to another. So what did you grow up with coveting is really the key to where the market is and where the market's going. So if you grew up coveting Mazda Miatas or RX-7s or uh, Grand Nationals or, you know, that kind of thing, as opposed to a bustle car, well, that's probably true with these people in the 40s and the 50s. Those are the cars that they couldn't afford that they were just like, you know, God, I got to get one. So as soon as they get money, they're interested in those cars. So those cars probably were in the five to $15,000 range and then once they started investing now those cars are going up but the mid yeah. you know the stingray corvette and the you know the, you know the, the mopar muscle cars you know those markets are flat to trending down because there's just not enough disposable income from uh those generations anymore that they can participate in those markets now the one car you mentioned that you don't currently own that would fit into the next generation is that mercure is that how you say it yeah mercure yep yeah yeah, yeah that would be the one that's the one, and you know what? That's going up. And my son uh, is a little young for that uh, market as far as influencing that market, but he's intrigued by a bunch of cars. He's 28, and I have no interest in those cars, but with the cars he's looking at are I have an appreciation curve. All the cars right. I'm looking at have a significant depreciation curve. <laughs> so right. <laughs> there, there's some pretty strong data there. He's got a 1994 Bronco, for example. And those have been overlooked yep. for a long time. Now those are beginning to appreciate. There's a very original teal one driving around where I am, and the guy's like a Vietnam vet, and he's in his you know, late 70s, and it is immaculate. I'm like, just let me know when you want to sell that one. It's like a 93. It's that Ford teal that was so popular at the time. I'm like, man, that's perfect. It is. <laughs> but, but again, I, I would discourage people from buying a car because it's depreciating. It might be a buying opportunity. Um, yep. Like that uh, Pontiac. We're very close to selling that 49 Pontiac. But somebody's going to really benefit from other people's significant investment and the fact that it's depreciating. It right. may, may or may not ever appreciate again, but that's okay. You're right. driving something really cool that it's not another 1955 Chevy Bel Air. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think so. So I think stocks are kind of corollaries to cars in that buy some beaten down stocks, buy some beaten down cars. Right. It's okay just to get some dividends, right? <laughs> and the dividends right. with a car... <laughs> The dividends with the car are you get to enjoy it and you get to share it right. with others. Absolutely. Well, you've given us some great insight onto how and why you collect what you collect. So now it's time to play a little game I like to call Keep Cash and Crush. Wow. <laughs> so okay. I've picked three yeah, I picked three cars for you. And for the record, the more difficult it is for you, the better I've done at my, doing my job. So you need to find out which one you want to keep, which one you want to cash in. And which one you want to crush? Okay, that's are you ready? Be hard. Yeah, let's go. I've given three very specific cars, and you've already mentioned one of them in our conversation. So one of them is a 1958 Cadillac Eldorado Brome. That's one of the three. Okay. The other one is a 1969 429 Cougar, one of two that we talked about in the past. That's your unicorn. And right. then the third one is a 65 Mustang Shelby GT350, not the R. The regular one. Okay. Those are your three. Which one would you keep forever? Which one would you cash in? And which one would you send to the crusher? Well, I'm going to have to crush the Cadillac only because not that it's not a good <laughs> Wow, car. right out the gate. <laughs> right. Not because it's uh, not an incredible car, but because, man, that takes up a lot of room. And, you know, in my business, floor space is at a premium. 
So I love that. All right. Yeah, it's just got to go. I'm sorry, but a 20-footer, you know, there's just no room for that. <laughs> okay. So is that the crusher? Is that one going yeah. to the crusher? Yeah, it's going to the okay. crusher. I'm sorry about that for all you Chevy and Cadillac fans. Don't don't hate, okay? <laughs> I love the quick response on that. Okay, how about the other two, the Cougar and the Shelby GT350? Listen, we've got to keep the Cougar. I mean, we've got to, okay. you know, it's consistent with my disease, which is collecting unicorns regardless of whether right. they're, you know, worth a lot of money. In this case, that uh, they only built two of those 429 Cougars, and, you know, we're debating, you and I, whether there's one or two alive. We do know of one. You know, having a unique piece of history like that, and let's say you own one or two, wow. I mean, that's just, that's so awesome. I, I couldn't imagine owning a car that significant. Uh, that car would, those those cars were built strictly for racing, and they were, they weren't, produced but they decided to build two for the racers of the day they were uh, racing down at the you know quarter mile uh, racetrack so very exceptional car yeah and like i said i found one of those i just don't know which one it is so as soon as i can confirm that i will let you know that would be do. interesting I, we, we need interesting part of the mystery yeah yeah is that the known one or is that the unknown one so that yeah, would be very interesting great question to find i out. think that's probably the unknown one because you know the color of red is I think the one that's known is the yellow one. Well, I will let you know hopefully okay. in the next couple of weeks. All right, cool. Yeah, cool. cool. By, by the way, we're cashing in the uh, 65, right? So. Just, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. You, cashing you, in the 65. Do you want to wire transfer me the funds? I, mean, that, <laughs> I think that's going to be about 300 you know, three hundred fifty thousand, depending on three fifty. Yeah, if it's got the original engine. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's a, if it's a number one, so uh, when this is over, I'll send you wiring instructions. Okay, that'd be awesome. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your passion of cards with us today. What's the best way our listeners to learn more about your company? Well, it's pretty simple, right? They just need to go on our website at SoCalCarStorage.com uh, or give us a call or visit some of our, we've got a great Facebook page. We've got a great Instagram page and they can engage us out there on social media and learn a lot more about this insanity of our business. We're just real fortunate to be in a position of giving people an opportunity to take care of their cars and be a trusted provider of storage for their vehicles. We're just we're just so grateful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dean. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast. <laughs>